The Grand Ireland Summer Fair is back in the RDS Dublin on Wednesday the 8th of June. Join us on the day for real experiences, conversations and meetings with top employers, postgraduate providers, seminar speakers and career advisors. Don't miss out. Register now at grireland.com forward slash events. Taking stock on News Talk. Thanks to Skillnet Ireland, driving business success through innovative training and upskilling. We're joined now by Robert Armstrong, US financial commentator with the Financial Times. Robert, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You have written a piece with the headline, The ESG Investing Industry is Dangerous, which is quite arresting, really, because one one might think this is the new ethical and responsible way forward. I suppose, first, you better explain what you mean by the ESG investing industry. Well, you know, I I should first give the following proviso that we're talking about a very broad and varied field with a lot of different manifestations. But what I'm really talking about is the core idea that if we change the way we invest, where we put our retirement savings, that can have a meaningful impact on the greater social good. Uh, The reason I say that this is dangerous is actually there is a lot of confusion about there, uh, confusion out there about how much impact changing where we put our savings can really have. There is, I think, an impression that if we, say, decide not to invest in oil companies, that that is sort of like a boycott. It's like refusing to buy oil and will have a similar effect on Exxon or Chevron or whoever. But really, it's not like that. When we're talking about investing in Exxon or Chevron, we're talking about buying their stock in the secondary market. And if we don't own that stock, someone else will. Uh, It's not like a boycott. It's just a matter of who has the investments in their hand at any given time. And the pressure that puts on companies, I think, has been wildly exaggerated. Yeah, well, I certainly think you're right to make the point that, you know, if, say, 10% of investors decide they don't want to own the stock, it's not the same as losing 10% of your customers if you're the oil company. So certainly the, the impact of that might be quite limited. But it goes beyond that to the bond market as well, though, doesn't it? I mean, if these companies are looking to borrow and some people are deciding they're not investing in these bonds, the theory mm. is that their cost of capital should go up. These, uh, Correct. You know, these quote unquote I think bad that's companies. Right. Yes, and I, I think that is possible if there is enough people, and that the same, by the way, could happen in the stock market, where if enough people decided they didn't want to buy, say, stock in oil companies or uh, pick the industry of your choice, it would become harder for the company to raise money and more expensive for the company to raise money, and that might be incrementally effective, right? Just on the margin. But two things have to be kept in mind. One, it's the margin, right? There, there is, there's plenty of examples we see. Like, for example, and we've reported this, uh, my colleague, Angeli Raval, has reported about this in the Financial Times. There's always the private market. So if the stock market is no good for an oil driller, say, there are people in the private market who, of course, feel much less pressure Uh, from the attention brought by the ESG industrial complex, as I like to call it. 
And those private markets are happy to snap up uh, oil assets at a good yield. The second thing we have to remember is the corresponding point to your point, which is that we're forcing the cost of capital up for the companies we don't like. The flip side of that is that we are pushing, as ESG investors, we are pushing our returns down. That's just math. It's not a, you know, that's not an empirical observation. That's just how it is. As we push the cost of capital of the bad companies, whatever we construe bad companies to be, as we push their cost of capital up by pulling our money out, our money goes into the green companies and that pushes their cost of capital down. Now, what cost of capital being down for them is, is lower returns for the investor, which is fine. Maybe the ESG investor is happy to accept lower returns, but that's not what the ESG industry is telling people about what they're going to get. They well, that's say, absolutely right, because you, you, you will hear people saying, not only are you being socially responsible, but you're going to make more money out of it as well. And, and seemingly yeah. the, the theory is down the road, there's going to be government regulation or something imposed on these companies, and that's going to impact your returns. Yes. And of course, that's possible. Right. Of course, there could be surprises down the road where we find out that uh, global warming is much worse than we expected. Government regulation is much stronger than we expected. It could be that ESG investments will do very well. But when you bet on that, you are betting that the current consensus is wrong. Right. ESG investments be if the cost of capital theory works, are selling at a premium. As far as the market is concerned now, you're going to earn lower returns. The market could turn out to be wrong, but you're betting against the collective intelligence of the market. The reason we're talking, Robert, and the reason why you wrote this particular article is because of somebody called Tariq Fancy. Tell us about him. Well, Tariq Fancy makes many of the same points we've been making here this morning and some others as well. And why it's important that he's making them is that he used to be the chief investment officer for ESG at BlackRock, which is the biggest asset manager in the world and one of the great ESG champions. So if you look up his posts on Medium, he did three of them. This is a guy who was really inside the machine. And he left BlackRock in disgust when he realized this was a huge marketing operation. It didn't uh, have to do with, it didn't live up to its claims of uh, making the world a better place by putting your savings in one place rather than another. And it was really about uh, earning higher fees and gathering more assets for BlackRock. So I really suggest everybody read that piece. You know, it's points, you know, I and other people have been making for a while, but coming from him, it means a lot more because he's been inside the Emerald Palace, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and I would, I, I'd add my voice to your encouragement to people to read it. Uh, just just Google it, uh, Tariq Fancy's uh, essay. There's one bit in it where he's on a plane with some BlackRock executives, including the boss, Larry Fink. And Fink is basically saying, hey, does anyone want to play some bridge? And Fancy doesn't know how to play, so he he kind of stays away. But then 
there's one one person who's kind of frantically googling how to play bridge, <laughs> to play bridge. just to, to try to try and schmooze with Larry Fink. So it is. I mean, it is quite revealing. I I think about the the culture at Black Rock. Yes, I mean there's. I mean, look, big organizations are big organizations, and this is this is really a point that I think bears making. What have what what has the limit li, limited liability company been designed to do over the hundred years of its existence? It's been designed to earn profits for shareholders. All the legal context, all the structures, board, management, workers, annual reports, uh, corporate structures, the whole shebang is there to provide profits to shareholders. The idea that we're gonna wake up one morning in 2020, whatever, and say this machine, which is a highly efficient uh, profit-making machine designed over centuries, we're gonna turn it into a machine that saves the world. This is just bonkers, right? This is just not the right way to go about saving the world. A lot of people read my stuff and they think, oh, Armstrong doesn't think global warming is real or, you know, he he, uh, he he's some kind of uh, radical market libertarian. Not so. I'm I'm a hundred percent believer in global warming. I, I think there's a lot of things about our society that needs to be fixed. It's just the company is not the tool you want to use to do that stuff. <laughs> it's it's not. Uh, you know, you you need a screwdriver, and people are saying, let's use this hammer. Our guest here on News Talk is Robert Armstrong, U.S. financial commentator with the Financial Times. What is the tool then, Robert? Well, I, I would point out uh, two things. The first thing is, uh, and I say this as, uh, as, a, as a capitalist, uh, is regulation. Uh, there are such things as market failures, things that markets aren't good at producing. And they're usually collective action problems problems of the commons, as economists call them. Uh, global warming is a great example of one of those problems where there's economic externalities, uh, where people can make profit on one thing and impose costs on outsiders. Those aren't things markets are very good at solving. Those are things that regulation is good at solving. So we have to have action by citizens and action by governments to solve these big societal collective action problems. That's point number one. Point number two is I think actually consumer choices do matter. So it's one thing to say, I'll buy this stock or not that stock, and that's gonna change the world. I think that's probably mostly nonsense. But to say, I'm gonna consume this and not consume that, I'm gonna put the weight of my family budget behind this and not that, I think that does matter and companies do listen to that and they are seeking profit. So they listen to what consumers do. It's just important not to confuse those kinds of choices with choices about where you invest your savings, which are a different matter altogether. There's three letters in, in ESG, environmental, social and governance. And I suppose we've been talking mostly about environmental. Environmental, correct. Um, is there any merit to the S? Or the G? Well, I think E and S go broadly in the same bucket. Uh, I think G is a very interesting case. I mean, I think we have, uh, there are very um, interesting questions about whether if a company has a certain kind of governance structure, it will outperform in the market over the long run. 
So uh, let me give you a poignant example of that. It is in theory bad when a company is public, owned by shareholders, but by some mechanism of different share classes or whatever, a, a single person or a small group of people actually control the company. So shareholders have, say, 90% of the economic interest in the company, but the inner junta, who only has 10% interest, actually controls the company because their shares get more votes or something like that. That, in theory, is a bad governance structure, the kind of thing that G in ESG would object to. Now, let me name some of the companies that have such, such structures. Uh, Facebook, Google, uh, Amazon, Wizzy Amazon stock, uh, not Amazon is actually an exception. It does not have that structure, but Silicon Valley stocks very frequently have that structure and they've done great in the market. So despite having a governance structure we might object to, they've done fantastically well. So uh, it's a really tricky question, the relationship between the G in the SG and long-term shareholder returns. Yeah, but, but, but you do seem to be more willing to yeah. accept that kind of, I, I don't know, people not buying the stock could make a difference here when, when it doesn't, when it comes to environmental yes. issues. So, so why I, is that? I mean, I think when a company is badly run, uh, when a comp you know, it's one thing if you're Facebook and you're making money hand over fist, it doesn't really matter who's in control because you have a quasi monopoly and you basically have a money printer and it's going great. When you're a company that is in a, a more difficult competitive situation, it really matters how it's run and by whom. And it might be that the board uh, is too cozy with management or the board is management or it's controlled by a family that doesn't have the interest of other shareholders at heart. So in those cases, pressure from investors to change the board, that's all part of the capitalistic, uh, the board and the management of the company, that's all part of the capitalistic uh, process. And I think that's great. And, you know, I, I'm activist investors are a great thing and activist shareholders are a great thing. But yeah, again, what, it, they're, it, what they're pushing for is profit, right? They want the company run better over the long run. And that's, that's how the whole system is supposed to work. Yeah. Although as some of them, BlackRock, for example, um, you know, they, they certainly talk a, a good game about, you know, we're going to vote against resolutions if we feel, the company we're shareholders of isn't behaving itself in, in line with ESG principles. But, um, well, I, I presume you'd be skeptical about that. Well, I, I don't know. I think, I, I think it's case by case. There is a big overall problem where a lot of the ownership of companies in the modern world is held by people who are, for kind of structural reasons, not well incentivized to really vote their proxies carefully and to really, you know, it's either an index fund or a big mutual fund, or, you know, it's some structure where each owner only owns a little bit of the stock. That owner, she's not going to take the time to really, is the pay package of the CEO fair or whatever. I mean, this is what some people call ownerless corporations, right? Because the shareholders are so diffuse and so disinterested. It's like, who who is who's watching yeah. the store here you know yeah. 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 <laughs> and some some companies are more like that than others and some investor groups are, and some in shareholders are more like that than others but it's certainly an issue two more things i want to ask you about before i let you go sure. first is is there a risk that if people get caught up in in esg and they think this is the tool to use it kind of distracts them from maybe 
so many other things that need to be done. They think, well, I'm doing my bit. I'm, I'm following ESG principles. Uh, indeed, that's the biggest risk of all. I think I don't think there's a big worry that there's an ESG bubble. I don't think there's a huge amount of harm if somebody says, oh, I don't want my money in Exxon. I want to put it in this ESG mutual fund where there's no oil and no tobacco and no guns and et cetera. I don't, I don't think there's a huge amount of harm in that. The point is that it doesn't do a ton of good. And if people think it's doing a ton of good, what they're what are they not doing? It's kind of it, it reassures us that capitalism will take care of this set of problems when it won't. Yeah, the answer right? to this the answer to this uh, the answer to this market failure is is to have more of the market. More, uh, more market. And, yeah, and, and um, there's just and there's just problems markets don't solve. And getting putting the idea out there that more market forces are going to solve global warming that's really pernicious that's the most dangerous thing of all it's not going to happen so people need to stop thinking that it's going to happen and think about doing something else and the other thing is i suppose in in terms of the impact that it can make actually if you look at assets under management in terms of esg still actually quite small despite despite yes. uh, despite the, the hype as it turns out there's actually a lot of money in the world Right, so uh, there is six, uh, th these are stats from Mr. Fancy, right? There is $360 trillion of global wealth, right? So uh, uh, a trillion is a thousand billion. So you have to imagine how large ESG would have to be to shift costs of capital in a world of that much money. You know, think of a scale. There is a total of $360 trillion of money on the sides, on the two sides of that scale. You're going to, how many trillions are you going to have to shift to the kind of good company ESG side to move that scale and change the cost of capital enough that how companies as a group are going to change, uh, are, are going to act changes. Uh, so we have something like 360 trillion of global wealth, investable assets, that is. And how big is ESG? Well, it depends very much on how you measure ESG invested assets, but suffice it to say, that's a number that's measured in the billions, not in the trillions. Okay, we leave it there. Robert Armstrong, US financial commentator with the Financial Times. Thanks very much for being with us. Thanks very much, it was a pleasure. Taking stock on News Talk. Thanks to Skillnet Ireland, driving business success through innovative training and upskilling. Looking for great prices on technology? At Harvey Norman, our specialist staff can help find the product that's right for you. We have all the biggest brands and latest technology in stock today, like the Geoflex 110, the convertible 2-in-1 laptop with Office 365 pre-installed. Now 249, save 150 euro. Or exceed your goals with the Fitbit Charge 4 Fitness Tracker. Now only 99 euro, save 30. Discover our huge range in store or online today. Harvey Norman, your technology specialists. Go!